Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless. Somebody say, I will bless the Lord when? At all times. In good moments, I will bless the Lord. In difficult seasons, I will bless the Lord. When I don't know what's going on, I will bless the Lord. When I don't have the answer, when I don't have the solution, I will bless the Lord. When I feel overwhelmed, I will bless the Lord at all times. There's a key here, church, if you can get this in your life it can change the direction of your life the writer says i will bless the lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul makes its boast in the lord let the humble hear and be glad oh magnify the lord with me that's what worship is worship is magnification. Somebody say magnification. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I sought him, he answered me, and he delivered me from what? All, everything, all of it. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps. That means he settles in. He sets up camp among or with the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, by the way. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And all God's people would say, amen. Why don't you put your hands together? If you could edge my microphone down just a hair, Randy, just a hair. I'm getting a little bit of a squeal, and I don't feel like acting like a pig this morning. The reason that we went into Psalm 34 this morning as the beginning of the sermon is because it tells us when and why we worship. When at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. Paul teaches us that we should rejoice in the Lord always. And then he reiterates it by saying again. If you forgot what I said a moment ago, I want to remind you, again, I say 
Rejoice. So that's the win, all times. But why? Because he alone has the ability to deliver me from every impossible situation I find myself in. When I can't, he can. When I can't, he can. So this morning, we're starting a brand new series, and we're going to be talking about going from worry to worship. I want to learn how to flip the script. The moments that I feel worry and anxiety coming in, I want to immediately flip it and move to worship. I want to learn how to live a lifestyle of blessing the Lord at all times. When we go through messages and we go through scripture, it's not just good ideas, it is God's word for our life. And if we can take hold of God's word and start applying it in every aspect of our life, that's when we're going to see the fruit. So when David says, I will bless the Lord at all times, he means that. And David knew what it was like to walk through hell. David knew what it was like to have family and friends turn their back on him. David knew what it was like to be stabbed in the back. And yet he says, I will bless the Lord at all times because when I zoom out on my situation and I look at it from God's heavenly perspective, I realize that he is with me. And when I worship, I invite his presence into the middle of my situation. So if you have your Bible, go to John, the 11th chapter. I'm going to read 53 verses this morning, and I want you to stay dialed in. Sometimes this can tend to be the part of the sermon where people daydream, but I'm reading this on purpose, not because I'm trying to meet my Bible reading quota for the month. I'm reading all 53 verses because I believe there is something within these 53 verses that we need to take hold of today that are going to bring us from worry into this place of worship. And I believe that we need this now more than ever before. People all over the world are living in fear and anxiety. Worry is, has just become the knee-jerk reaction. When something happens, we just worry about it. But worry doesn't change anything. Turn the person next to you and say, worry does not change one thing. <laughs> However, worship has the ability to change everything. So John, the 11th chapter, starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Mary was a worshiper whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, I want you to take note that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were not just followers of Jesus. They were also friends of Jesus. They spent intimate moments with Jesus. They had Jesus on speed dial. They could call him up anytime they wanted, and Jesus would respond. Why? Because he had relationship with them. And so verse 4 says this, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You would think if he loved them, he would have moved immediately. Yet Jesus decides, I'm going to stay where I am a little bit longer. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone uh, walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He dead. And for your sake, I want you to catch every word that is being said here. He's letting them know Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, Somebody say, even now. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She's saying, I believe that you are the Messiah, you are the Savior sent to deliver us from this world of sin. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, here it is again, if you had been here when I wanted you to be here, if you would have responded to my text message a few days ago, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus moved, uh, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can I read just a few more verses to you? Yeah. Let's look at this. Verse 45. Now many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So as a result of Lazarus' death and resurrection, people go, okay, this is obviously the guy that God has sent. This is obviously the man of the hour. Jesus obviously is who he claimed to be. And you would think this would be a moment of celebration, but it actually triggers something very serious because not everyone was so excited about Jesus claiming to be God in flesh. Verse 46 says, But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. If he keeps on doing this stuff, eventually everyone is going to say, hey, Jesus actually is the Messiah. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation." But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Instead of Israel suffering at the hand of Rome because of what Jesus is doing, why don't we just kill Jesus? Because it would be better for one man to die than the whole nation to suffer. Are you seeing this? He did not say this on his own accord, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for the nation, but also to gather into one 
the children of God who are scattered abroad. So that from that day, so from this day on, from this moment, from this miracle, from this resurrection of Lazarus, they made plans to put him to death. So what we have happening here in 53 verses is the writer John is giving us the conflict, the resolve, and the context of the story. The conflict is Lazarus is sick. And he eventually dies because Jesus didn't show up when they thought he should show up. If you would have come earlier, we believe that you have the ability to heal, but because you decided to stay where you were, now my brother is dead. So they had faith. But at the same time, they also had frustration. How many of you understand that it's possible to have faith and frustration operating in the same space? I have faith that God is able, but I'm frustrated that he did not do what I wanted him to do the way I wanted him to do it when I wanted him to do it. Has anybody felt that before? I've prayed, and I prayed because I believed that he could, but he didn't for me. So that's the conflict of the story. The resolve is when Jesus does finally show up, he brings Lazarus back to life. It's a miracle. But the context is what I want you to see. The context of all this happening is so that the glory of God could be revealed through the miracle. It was so that, one, many would believe, but two, this is the moment that ushered Jesus to his own death, burial, and resurrection. It is because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead that everybody started freaking out and saying, we've got to kill this man. So we have the conflict, we have the resolve, but now we understand the context. We understand why Jesus decided not to go when they wanted him to go. Because he could have. He could have immediately left, said, hey, my boy Lazarus, he's not feeling well, I'm going to go heal him. And everybody believed that he could. But he didn't. And there's a purpose. Somebody say there's a purpose. What I want you to understand is God does not do anything without purpose, plan, and design. He doesn't accidentally do anything. Lazarus didn't accidentally die. Jesus didn't get the message that his friend Lazarus is sick and forgot and go, oh, my goodness. Oh, my me. I planned on going, and I, man, I got caught up. People were coming to me, talking to me. It slipped my mind, and now he's dead. Oopsie. <laughs> Let's go see what we can do about this. That's not how God works. There was a purpose for it, even though they didn't understand it in the moment. See, what I want you to see is within a short amount of time, we were able to read all 53 verses. And within a short amount of time, we were able to see the conflict, the resolve, and get the context. But Mary and Martha were having to live it out in the moment. All they knew was the conflict and the frustration. 
because they had not yet seen the resolve, and they had no idea why Jesus decided to do it the way that he did it. All they knew was, we called for Jesus, and he didn't show up, and as a result, my brother's dead. I wanted him to come. I wanted him to move, and he chose not to. I had faith, but now I'm frustrated. Why? Because they don't see the whole picture. And you understand that we, we don't get to see the entire picture of what we're going through. We have to live it out in real time. I mean, it would be wonderful if we could take 53 verses and see our entire life. You know, I'm, I'm going to be going through this season of my life, and then conflict's going to happen, but I'm okay with the conflict because I know in about four days that conflict's going to be resolved, and then God's going to get glory from it, and it's going to promote me to a higher level. I would be, it would be easier for me to deal with the conflict if I already knew the resolve and the context, but we don't. We have to live it out in the moment. I remember, you know, we're about to celebrate 10 years as a church family, and as I've been thinking about the past 10 years and everything that has transpired, I was thinking about a moment in time where I was ready to quit. I was ready to give up because I was frustrated. I went from being a part of my father's church, which was a fairly large church. I pastored children's classes and, and youth classes and participated in worship with a lot of people. And now I'm pastoring a church that I thought was going to take off. I thought was going to explode. We were going to be the new kid on the block, and everybody was going to check us out, and we were good. I mean, I felt like we were good. I mean, our worship was really good. The sermons were like probably the best sermons ever. I mean, delivered from a master mind, you know. Incredibly humble pastor, you know. And... <laughs> For years, we sat there with 15 to 20 people, and I couldn't wrap my, my mind around it. I couldn't figure out why it wasn't growing the way I thought it was going to grow, and I got extremely discouraged. I got extremely disheartened. Have, have you ever experienced that in life? Like you had an expectation of how something was going to happen, and when it didn't work out the way you thought it would, you, you got disheartened? And I remember sitting in my father's office one day, and my thought was, maybe I'm not called to do this. Like, like, I want to do what God has called me to do, and maybe, maybe we miss God on this because it, it hasn't happened. I'm not seeing the fruit of, of anything, and I wanted to give up. Now, it would have been nice if I could have just read a couple sentences later in the book and saw that Hey, one day you're going to move the church to Dallas, Georgia. You're going to own your own property. Y'all are going to build a building. It's going to be filled with people. You're going to have like four times the amount of kids than you do even, you know, than you do people right now. You're going to have a ministry that's extending into Pakistan where hundreds of people are going to be saved. Miracles are going to take place. You're going to have amazing VBS programs. You know, it would have been beautiful to see those moments. It would have been beautiful to see that this week I got a phone call inviting me to preach in 182 nations at one time on television. And we're going to be doing that in November. 
it would have been great to see that then. Like, that would have given me some fuel for my future. Like, I know I'm down now, but hey, I'm coming back. (laughs) It's going to look good. But I didn't have the luxury of seeing the conflict resolve and context behind it. All I saw was the conflict. All I saw is the moment. And that's all Mary and Martha are seeing. They're seeing their conflict and dealing with their frustration. And I've learned this. We don't get to choose what we walk through in life. Life is made up of seasons and cycles. There's ups, there's downs, there's highs, there's lows. And you, don't get to, you do not get to determine when that's going to happen. But you do get to determine how you're going to walk through that season. You do get to determine how you're going to handle the moment that you're in. I don't get to choose it, but I do get to choose how I walk through it. I don't get to choose who walks out of my life and who stays. But I do get to choose how I handle it. I don't get to choose when I get a good report from the doctor or when I get a bad report from the doctor. But I do get to choose how I'm going to walk through it. David says in Psalm 23, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He, he knows there's valleys in life. And that's what I love about Psalm 23 is it paints this picture of the rhythms of life. It's green pastures to dark valleys. It's the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the ebbs and flows. It's all there within that chapter 23. And David gets to this moment of conflict and he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I'm going to walk through it, but I'm going to walk through it the way I want to walk through it, without fear, because I know God is with me. So I'm not going to stare at the valley, but I'm going to lift my eyes to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. And so I walk through it, but I walk through it without worry. I walk through it with worship, with my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith. Wow. (laughs) Man, if I could have learned this a long time ago, it would have been helpful. But God decided to allow me to live it out, to walk it out. Why? So now I'm not just standing here and telling you things. I'm telling you things that he's allowed me to walk through. And now I've learned how to walk through the moments that I do not like, knowing that he is with me. See, Mary and Martha, when they go through this situation, this conflict, they feel like Jesus is distant. They feel like Jesus doesn't care. What they don't know is he is doing this for a reason, for a greater purpose. There's a purpose 
behind their pain. There's a purpose behind the death of their brother. And if they can just live long enough and hang in there long enough, they're going to see the resolve and they're going to see the, con the context and be able to say glory to God. I'm glad I went through that moment because now my story is written about in John the 11th chapter and 2,000 years from now, people are going to put their faith in Christ because of what I walked through. It's powerful. But in the moment, all they have is their conflict and their frustration. But as I was reading this, I noticed something really interesting. I started reading how Ma Martha dealt with the situation she was walking through. She runs to Jesus. So first and foremost, she's headed in the direction of her solution. And when she finds him, she says, if you had been here, you could have healed my brother. So she's showing where her faith was. I believe that you are a healer. She says, I believe that you are the one who's been sent into the world. I believe. I put my faith. I put my trust in you. And if you would have been here, he would be alive. But even now I know. And there's the flip. See, God can handle our frustration. God can handle our complaining. God can handle us coming to him saying, God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand it. But in the middle of that, you've got to learn to flip that and say, but even now I know. That's the difference. That's, that's the moment that worry and uncertainty are flipped into faith and worship. The situation is bad, and I don't understand it, but even now I know. What are you going through in this room this morning? What are you going through, those who you're watching online right now? What are you going through? It's okay to be frustrated about it. It's okay to not understand it, but you've got to get to a point to where you say, but even now I know. I'm going to have a resolve, and that resolve is going to be to the glory of God. I'm going to move from my fear and frustration into faith. I'm going to move from my worry into worship. You know, fear and faith are very similar. If you really think about it, on the foundational level, fear and faith have a lot of similarities. They both take expectation. Fear expects the worst. Am I right, Jamie? Fear expects the worst. When you get some news that you didn't want to get, fear kicks in and expects it to be the worst possible scenario. It has expectation. Somebody say, it has expectation. Faith has expectation as well. But faith doesn't expect the worst possible outcome Faith says, I believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think. Faith sees the facts and bypasses the facts because they... Are you hearing this? Faith doesn't ignore the fact, but it bypasses the fact because it knows God is able. 
that even if my dream dies, he can bring it back. And if he doesn't bring it back, there's a purpose for it. I, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you really look at their story, because we all talk about them going into the fiery furnace, and we talk about the fourth man in the fire, and we celebrate where we talk about Jesus will be with you in your fire, you know, and it's an exciting message, and I love that message, and it's true. But I love what they say before they even get to the fire. They say, okay, you're going to throw us in this fire, that's fine, because we believe that God is able to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow my knee because he is the true and living God. I'm going to worship him even if I die. Job says, even though you slave me, slay me, yet will I serve you. Why? Because he's bigger, he's greater than anything I walk through. And he's got a purpose for it all. And you may, you may not know why, and it's okay. And I've learned to stop asking why. I, I've learned to stop trying to figure out why things work out the way they work out and just trust that God is doing it the way it needs to be done. So faith and fear are similar, but the difference is what they are expecting. They both have expectation, but what they expect is completely different. And so I started thinking about worry and worship. Worry and worship are similar. They both take attention. As a matter of fact, they both demand attention. Worry and worship demand surrender. Think about that. I have control over what I allow into my life. Worry has no power over me. The only power worry has is what I give to it. I will either say that I'm going to bow my knee to my worry or I'm going to bow my knee to my God. Both are worship. See, I've told you before, like, fear is actually faith in the wrong direction. Think about this. Worry is actually worship in the wrong direction. Because worship magnifies God, and worry magnifies my situation. Worship says, I'm going to shift my eyes to Jesus. Worry says, I'm going to shift my eyes to my situation. The difference is, worship can change the situation. Because worship takes faith. It takes faith to say it is well even when things don't look well. It takes faith to worship in the middle of your conflict. That's why I want to stress, I will bless the Lord at all times. See, it's easy to say I'll bless the Lord when everything's going good. 
I'll bless the Lord when everything is well. I'll bless the Lord when I have health. I'll bless the Lord when my marriage is great. I'll bless the Lord when my kids are great. I'll bless the Lord when I have all the money that I need. I'll bless the Lord in the good times. But it doesn't work that way. You've got to discipline yourself to bless the Lord at all times because it is the difficult seasons of life that when you learn how to worship in faith, that's what moves you from the valley into the green pasture. Many people get stuck in the valley of the shadow of death because they don't know how to worship their way out. They want to camp out in their feelings. They want to camp out in their emotions. And their worry pitches the tent that they will dwell in. But if I can move from that place of worry into worship, then God begins to usher me from the dark valley into my resolve. I really want you to think about this this morning. I really want you to allow this to settle into your heart and your life this morning. The power of worship. The power of faith. The power of prayer. And doing it right. See, sometimes we say we're praying, but all we're doing is complaining. Sometimes we say we're worshiping, but all we're doing is talking to God about what we're going through. And that's okay for a moment. There is a place for that. There is a place for you to bring all of your cares to God. It is, there is a place for you to bring your frustration and all of it to him. Your anger and be like, I don't know why, and God, this is happening, and this is happening, and I've done this, and that's okay, but you've got to learn to flip out of that mode and say, it's going to be okay. Because I know who is with me. And as I begin to worship, I shift my eyes from the situation. See, I stop even in my prayer, I stop talking about the situation. And I start talking about the goodness of God. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are incredible. There is God. There is none like you. You are faithful. You've never failed me. And the more I do that, the less I see of this. Does that make sense to you? I can be in the same moment but have a different experience because of what I'm focused on. I can either look to my help or I can look at the problem. And just like faith attracts things into your life and fear attracts things into your life, worship attracts the good things of God into your life. It's about getting your heart open before the Lord. It's about opening your mouth despite your circumstance. Listen, your flesh is never going to wake up in the morning and go, okay, it's time. <laughs> it's not going to happen that way. I wish it would. But we're like a diesel engine sometimes. 
We got, it takes a little bit of work. You understand diesel engines, Bob. Sometimes it takes a little bit of work to get those things going, and there's a little bit of dun, 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 dun. But once you get it going, once you get it going, then it works. So start thinking about yourself that way. Like when you wake up in the morning, it takes discipline to say, I'm going to bless the Lord in this moment, even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to begin to worship him even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to begin to shift my eyes to him even though I do not feel like it. I will bless the Lord. That's what Psalm 34, 1 says, John. It says, I will bless Psalm 34, 1. Get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. Put it on, put it on your, your, tattoo it on yourself, John. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. What are you going through this morning? Some of you are in the conflict season of your life and you don't know what the outcome will be. Some of you have already experienced an outcome, but you don't understand the context of why it came out that way. And I want you to know that if you can just begin to worship and leave that worry and trust God, he will move. He will show up. It may seem like it's four days too late, but I've learned that he's actually always on time. It is good that he has allowed me to walk through the things I've walked through. It is good that I've experienced everything that I've experienced because it has taught me about his faithfulness. It's taught me about his goodness. It has showed me that no matter what I do, he's never far away. It has showed me that even when I am not faithful, he remains faithful. It has shown me that even when my life is running in the opposite direction of God, I can turn around and he's always there because his love is pursuing me. Some of you in here this morning need to hear that, that God's love pursues you no matter what you've done. And he is waiting for you to turn around and just receive him into your life. And he can take who you are and transform you and make you new. He can bring beauty from ashes. And that's what he wants to do in your life. He comes to us in our brokenness so that he can make us whole. He comes to us in the filth of our sin so that he can cleanse us. He comes to us in our loneliness so that he can comfort us. He comes to us in the middle of our worry and our fear and our anxiety so that we can have peace. He comes to us in the middle of our depression so that we can have joy. Listen, I wish that I could change life and it be all sunshine and roses all the time. 
but I can't. I'm going to walk through things in my life that I cannot help. But Jessica, I can determine how I'm going to walk through it, and I'm learning that. I can walk through pain with joy because God is with me. I can experience the trials in life and have joy because I know he's doing something for me. And if I can just hang on long enough, one day I'll be able to look back and not just see the conflict and the resolve, but I'll see the context of it. And Rich, that's, you're going to see that. You're going to see the context of everything that you've had to walk through in life. Keep on moving. Keep on going. And one day you'll settle into that place where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is it. It makes sense now. Don't try to make sense of it right now on your own. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is something y'all need to really get in your mind. Trust in the Lord always. Lean not to your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Some of you have gone through things in your past that you don't understand why you went through it. And you wish you you could change it, but you can't. I've just got to trust that God was with me then, and he's with me now, and he's going to do something through it. I've got to trust that he's not done with me, and he's not throwing me away because of past decisions. But he's going to pull me through it. And I cannot wait to see where God brings you. Martin, I cannot wait to see where God takes you in your life. I cannot wait to see where God takes you in your life, where in your life, because it is so much greater than we could ever think or imagine. And many times the painful moments of our life prepare us for that place to be able to minister to someone else, Jessica, so that now you can actually say, hey, I can walk through this with compassion because I've been through it. That's why, that's why Jesus, that's part of the reason Jesus took on flesh. The Bible says so that he can sympathize with our weakness because he's gone through the things that we've gone through. He's, he's experienced the pain, the heartache, the temptations. And so he's not just up here looking down on us. He actually stepped down into life and goes, Jessica, I can understand and sympathize with you because I know how difficult it is. And we can do that when we walk through all these things that we get out on the other side. We can come alongside other people and say, hey, I can help it's going to be okay. I know it doesn't feel like it's going to be okay, but it's going to be okay because he's done this for me and I know he'll do it for you.